Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Log Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Gigabit Nation. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and we are here to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get broadband everywhere it needs to be. One of the early actions in a community that is considering building a broadband network is to do a feasibility study. But there are some that feel that uh, these RFPs tend to be very similar uh, or the same, and subsequently they don't produce uh, as much meaningful data as communities need, that we're basically producing a lot of uh, cookie-cutter documents that have uh, mixed value for the uh, communities. However, every community is different, and so does the RFP process uh, allow for that today? Uh, today, we're going to um, look at how communities might want to uh, improve or enhance the feasibility study process. Richard Frank uh, is CEO of MADCOM, and he has some uh, interesting ideas on how to change the feasibility study into a more useful exercise. So, Rich, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, let's talk about, um, well, a couple of things uh, related to the, uh, you know, the RFP, the feasibility study process, and so forth. And you and I have had this conversation a couple of times. And basically, um, you know, you made the comment that uh, people don't know what they don't know, and, and with with regard to getting ready to do one of these um, networks. So, how how would you how do you explain that really? Well, I think the the best way is you know after talking to numerous groups, whether it be economic development folks or municipalities, counties, etc., uh, we we realize that. They're using an old model that, that, that they, they generally took when they were looking at, you know, developing a neighborhood or building a new road. And that the first catchphrase that comes to mind is a feasibility study, um, where those were originally designed so that they could do risk assessment and the impact of the community and, and all those sort of things. And they're using that now to see if there's a need for broadband, and, and, and that feasibility study is basically getting them information that they already know. So our approach has been to educate these um, groups and let them know that skip the feasibility study. You're not doing a risk assessment, but there's no need when deploying a broadband network. What you should be doing is writing an RFP that, that asks for specific data in a map that you can then 
design a network around that data and produce a plan that is actionable, whereas if the network could be built so the communities can then determine whether or not they want to move forward with it. And, and, and that, that approach is, is what we feel is the best. It's just a matter of how the, the you know, communities write the RFP. Mm-hmm. So is what you're saying then that um, we know the technology is sound on one hand, and number two, we understand, you know, generally that we know we need broadband. So then why do a feasibility study? I mean, that, that's if I'm, not, if I'm understanding you correctly. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and we've even seen RFPs that, that, that are asking consulting firms to do a door-by-door, you know. There haven't been door-by-door, you know, vacuum salesmen in 50 years, but I've seen RFPs <laughs> re- recently that part of the RFP is that the consulting firm must be a door-by-door to conduct a needs assessment, and the reality is that data is readily available, in GIS formats, you can get the actual subscriber data, so you don't have to rely on the incumbents to tell you what what's out there. And, you know, as part of that, we've also found that the incumbents only support speeds and coverage areas because they don't want competition. So you can, you can eliminate all that and get a real assessment of the community's needs by importing raw data to maps and then determining the least cost rally, um, the neighborhoods that are that would most likely subscribe based on the existing subscriber data. Well, that's a fairly revolutionary stance, I would imagine, because um, a lot of government officials tend to do what works, right? So they typically have done uh, feasibility studies. I mean, if I looked at just at broadband and, and looking at the um, municipal wireless days uh, 10 years ago, um, everybody and their mother had an RFP to get um, uh, Wi-Fi everywhere because they felt that uh, they didn't have coverage, they didn't have high-speed coverage, and if they did have it, it was costing too much. So here we are, you know, ten years later, and we're doing that 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 same process again. Really, it seems like we're asking the same kinds of questions, but we haven't. Um, I guess have we learned anything from that first per- period of RFPs uh, to where we're um, should be going at this thing differently? In your yes, yes, and, 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 you know, technology has changed, um, you know, the, 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 the GIS um, ability to manage data, metadata, where, whatever term you want to use, and, and look at it from, from different perspectives, creates a whole different world what, when municipalities are, are looking to enter that space. Ten years ago, you know, you, you generally had to go to one of the economists. And that's why we, we started out with the franchise agreement, and a lot of those were 10 to 20-year deals. Those, those franchise agreements are now coming up. So what we're suggesting is municipalities may not want to renew a franchise agreement for a cable or telco operator that has provided poor service. 
they may want to leverage that agreement to either get better service from that provider or look to another one. Now, how would this work in the world um, where we're, you know, we're talking about broadband, and we have a, you know, we're, you know, we're looking at cities like Chattanooga and Lafayette and so forth, and we say we want to have that, we want to have that high speed. Then, where does the role, or what is the role of the franchise agreement? Um, are we talking apples and oranges? Um, are they diff- do different processes? I mean, where, what, what exactly are we looking at here? Okay, well, the, 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 each and every utility company, whether it be a cable provider or a telecom provider, must sign a franchise agreement with the municipality that gives them permission to occupy public right-of-way. So the municipality owns the streets, that right-of-way. Yes, companies have poles on them, and they have conduit in the streets and all that stuff, but they were given that permission by the municipality years ago. What what we're trying to advise communities is it's not something that you just grant a right to and and hope that those companies do the right thing, because what we're seeing now is the companies generally have a pick. You know, they, 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 they built the network under those franchise agreements, they got X number of subscribers, and they failed over the last eight years or so to build out to rural areas, or they haven't kept, kept up with technology. They basically, but the, that initial network was built 10 years ago, and they've been reaping the rewards and collecting the revenue from it, and, and they haven't expanded or upgraded those networks. So as these franchise agreements come up, that's when the city or, or town or whatever is in the best position to renegotiate so whether you want to look to force your incumbent operator that already has an agreement to upgrade and expand and commit them to X, Y, and Z as part of the renewal, or you can cancel that franchise agreement and bring another vendor in that's willing to do so. Or they might want to do it themselves or do it as a public-private partnership. Right, exactly. I mean, that's, that, that's what we suggest. We, you know, our suggestion is, you know, with the technology and, and the number of companies out there that can design and build networks, um, we suggest municipalities really look at becoming a service provider. And, and I say that because for years, uh, municipalities' only way of, of generating revenue was to tax the, the residents and businesses, or you may build a housing project and the federal government would, would chip in so much money to the city for building that housing project. Uh, we suggest municipalities start generating revenue as opposed to taxing the base to support infrastructure and services. So I, I don't understand why more and more communities don't want to become like businesses and bring revenue into the community and economic development as opposed to just taxing the base to, to operate. Right, but I would guess that there is a certain amount of fear um, and a a certain amount of um, aversion to getting into that business. I mean, wouldn't that... Right. And, 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 you know, we work closely with the communities that we're working with, and we explain to them that, that, that they're not necessarily going to own and operate it, but, but they are the ones that, that are going to initiate the project. There's a number of, you know, venture capitalists, private companies that, that will invest in it, 
and it'll be a profit sharing arrangement across the board from the original, you know, venture capital people to the ones that designed and built it to the city that initiated the project. It'll be a revenue sharing arrangement that they all can live with for multiple years down the road. So if we take that approach or that way of thinking, we're basically talking about um, something actually that I've talked about before, which is we need to treat it like a business, which is not the same as being in the business, right? Because there are a number of scenarios when people will say, um, you know, we don't want to have that headache, but if we have control of the process, if we have control over the infrastructure, that we dictate what it is that the infrastructure should deliver, that's a better um, situation for the community. Yes. Okay. What, what, what we're um, trying to convey is that um, you don't need to only operate the network. Uh, the municipalities need to take the first step in saying that we're tired of what we have. We need something better. They don't need to do a feasibility study because they already know that the residents and businesses are, you know, underserved or whatever. So what we're saying to them is you need to take that first step and you need to initiate a broadband project and help either incumbents or a new competitor develop, design it, and build a network that's going to serve your community and, and bring it up to, you know, current, you know, technology standards and speeds. And then you, as the, the municipality that initiated it, should reap some rewards for it in, in a way of, of collecting revenue down the road. So um, you're going to have to engage a company that can design and build it and can get the capital to do so, but at the same time, the, the community needs to protect their interests and, and ensure that the contracts are written in a manner that they get XYZ revenue downstream. Okay. Now, would I also then, following your your line of reasoning, would you also then say that in those states where there are prohibitions against cities running uh, broadband networks that, like in Tennessee and, and um, North Carolina and so forth, that the city starts with the, you know, the, the franchise agreements and then says, okay, what do, we want, what do we want to do? And then can we get someone else to provide it so, because the incumbents won't and they won't let us, the city, do it, then is that the time for start looking at different types of arrangements, would be they Google or um, oh, no, there's a number of companies out there now. Um, is that the way around the restrictions then? Yeah, yeah. Um, as I'm sure you're aware, and, and most are, the, the times are changing, you know, um, the incumbents via lobbyists and D.C. and et cetera, et cetera, have, have had a stranglehold on the industry 
and, and they're totally blocking competition and municipalities in, engaging in designing and owning operating networks. So um, that, that still exists. Um, it's changed in Colorado, 46, you know, counties as voters for municipal raw advance. I might go on and on. Um, in, in the example you raised, Tennessee, that's exactly the, the, the point I try to make is they have no right to even be in your streets. You gave them permission. The fact that they did not have not kept up with and provided adequate service, when that franchise agreement comes up, you need to say, time out. Here's what we want. We're not renewing unless you do. And if the, if the incumbent that's there does not want to upgrade and stand accordingly to the needs of, of the day, then it's time to kick them out and get another company in the well. And that franchise agreement is the crux of all this. That's pretty bold, actually. I mean, it's it's straightforward to say, but um, is there a likelihood that cities will wake up and go, you know what, we actually do have the power? I mean, what's 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 preventing them from having that revelation? Do you think? Back to what you said, as you opened up, they don't know what they don't know. They don't realize they have that sort of power. That's that's the bottom line here. They, they think that the franchise agreement is no different than somebody getting a permit to do X, Y, and Z. They don't realize the power they have in those agreements. So what we're really needing to do is re-educate the market and and then say, step out of your usual role and look at it for, as a as a business would, right? Or as a smart consumer, right? If you're unhappy with the service, um, you're not going to keep going to the same uh, restaurant or uh, clothing outlet or what have you. We will find other al- al- alternatives. And so, what's really this is this is going is we need to be like uh, consu- better consumers first and foremost, and then thinking about this in a business-like term of well, you know, and in business, I can either make it or I can partner and have someone else make it and I can, you know, label it and go sell it or whatever, but your 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 whole world needs a shift in perspective and and that's really what I think you're 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 saying. Oh yeah, it's very it's a, it's a radical thought process and, and unfortunately um, in many cases, the, these agreements, you know, were started way back in the bell days, you know, and, and they, they just automatically renewed by some clerk in an office and things of that nature. The, the, the community leaders or economic development folks don't understand that the power they hold when they grant these agreements, and as they come up, they, they can leverage that agreement. And, and unfortunately, most communities just don't get what that whole franchise agreement is all about. Mm-hmm. Now, what about the case where it's about, you know, anywhere from two to, you know, ten years out before the uh, the agreement comes up again for renewal, 
what are the options for the cities and counties at that point? Well, um, I, okay. The first thing I, w- I would suggest, I, I, I'm working with a community right now where they, they've got, you know, multiple circumstances throughout their city where, you know, poles are falling apart, cables are hanging, this and that, and, and, and they didn't even realize they had the right to go tell that phone company to fix that stuff. You know, the, the, the residents are complaining, but yet they're like, oh, that, we don't own that. So, so that's how deep-rooted it is. So, so we educate them and say, no, you, you just need to send a letter, tell them to get this in compliance, and it's done. And they didn't realize how simple it was. So for the communities that, that may be locked into agreements that, that are, you know, out there a ways, our approach to those communities is start forcing your hand. Start letting that incumbent know that, that you've got your eyes on them. Start, start taking the task for things that they should be doing and aren't. And one of which is look at the additional agreement. It, it, there may be wording in that that, you know, they were supposed to provide X, Y, and Z, and they haven't. And take them a task. Okay. And I would imagine that this is easier in a smaller and mid-sized city than in cities such as Philadelphia, New York, Chicago, um, because in each of those large metropolitan areas, the politics and the inertia of the incumbent's presence, I think, makes it difficult to leverage or even understand where the leverage points are, um, say as opposed to a mid-sized or a small town where you know there's a little bit more you know both awareness and less in inertia. I think. I mean, I mean, yeah, wrong. Um, and based on the size of the community, you know, in small communities, you may only have one, maybe two, you know, carriers. That, that have a franchise agreement and are operating in your space. In in larger cities, you might have five companies that all have franchise agreements and all have rights to do X, Y, and Z. You need to go back to those original franchise agreements, look at those, you know, this is what lawyers are for. You, you got to look at, you know, how they're learning, what their obligation was, and in most cases we're finding that those franchise agreements gave them the right to do X, and, and they're doing Y or vice versa. Hmm. Okay. Now is <clears throat> now this is a different set of uh, actions than um, looking at the states and how certain agreements are made with the state. Uh, such as you know, you you know Bruce, uh, he he's a big um, uh, proponent of addressing the issue of um, carriers went into state capitals and made agreements that they would provide forty or sixty k across the board. I'm not k uh, um, megs of uh, capacity across the board. They they were given incentives and price breaks and a whole number of other goodies, um, and those haven't been lived up to. 
Now, is the process of right. trying uh, to chase that down different than the trans- the process of trying to understand uh, the franchise agreements by by city? Right, and, 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 and that goes back to basically what, what I'm saying. Um, you know, you, you know, if what you're referencing is, is, you know, you know, of course, it's headlines right now that, that Verizon's going on strike. You know, and, and Verizon's the, one of the largest employers in New York State, if not the largest, uh, because it was the old New York Telephone Corp. Um, but, but to make a long story short, yes, the, the, the New York State realized many years ago that, that we were falling behind in, in broadband. You know, the U.S. went from number one in the world to number 34 in a matter of 10 years. Uh, that's because the incumbents have failed us. That's the bottom line. There's no dispute there. Um, it's, it's how did that happen is what's questionable. And, and it, what happened in New York State was, um, you know, the, the state tried to work with Verizon to get them to upgrade and expand they, they they gave they they made them accept for more real estate taxes. They they, they you know basically give them all cost incentives. You know so so in a roundabout way, Verizon has not paid taxes to New York for multiple years because they promised to upgrade and expand via files and they never delivered. So now, how does the state and these communities go back and, and, and point that file and say, okay, you promised something, you didn't deliver? You know, that's a long legal battle that's going to go on for years. So I, I don't really like to um, get into all that. I, I just want to move forward and explain to the community, it's time to take matters in your own hand. It's right. proven that the incumbents are not going to do it. If you want it done, you got to do it. Okay. And it's so different with the New York State broadband office just rolled out, you know, the $500 million commitment. And, and, and at the last hour, they said, oh, we need to deal with Time Warner and Time Warner can upgrade and expand. Well, right, they're probably the same thing. Here we go again. Right. No, 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 no love there. Well, coming, coming back to then the strategy, the the community strategy. So, um, you know, we talked about uh, changing the the way we look at the the franchise agreement. Okay. So now, as far as the needs or I should say the uh, feasibility study, right? So you're talking about, you know, it's kind of dated. It probably needs to go away. But we need to have some process, I think, of um, determining a broadband uh, plan. So let's think about it this way. Um, If I don't have the typical... RFP for a feasibility uh, study, what then should I do to address a couple of questions, such as um, my needs, my technology inventory, um, uh, what kind of business model we should use, what type of... um, uh, way to pay for it, right? Because some of these RFPs seem to have everything, and in the, including the uh, kitchen sink, as a requirement, right? We want to have a person or a consulting firm or whatever come in and address 
all of these issues, including the go the going door to door to ask for you know people's input on on broadband, right? So let's talk about what there should be in instead. Is there a need for uh, a RFP for uh, needs analysis? Do I need a uh, a, a, um, an RFP for a... Craig, yeah. I, I, I think the way I would best answer that is, is I think, you know, you of all people have looked to the best approach yet. And we talked some months back about you um, doing a workshop to educate communities, and that's what they need. Because they don't know what they don't know, um, I've sat with multiple community mayors and, you know, others, and, and and the first thing I said is, you know, if you're looking at broadband, you're going to write nothing. The first response I get is, we don't have to write off RFP. We've been doing it for years. The problem is broadband is, is a thing in itself. Um, they don't understand the technology. They don't understand the data that's available that you don't need to pay consulting firms to source on the Internet or go door to door. The data is readily available. If you write the RFP that says you will import, you will analyze X, Y, and Z data, um, and your output will be a design, you, you take five steps out of the equation. You don't do the feasibility study, you then, but if you write the RFP right, you'll get all the data, and you will get a design that, you, that may or may not be feasible. So, so even though I'm using the word feasible, because, because it applies, don't do a feasibility study. There's ways to look at all the data, analyze it, do a hypothetical design, look at the overall cost of that design, and then the, 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 the community can look, can look at, well, is this something we can fund? What, what are our other resources? Um, aside from the community funding it via bonds or venture capital, um, what, what, what are my options for you know, grant funding, whether it be E-Ray or Healthcare Connect or the RUS and NTIA. The funding that's available is amazing because, you know, the higher-up leaders understand there's no problem. So, so funding, you got to look at the big picture, but just don't look at it from the old approach of feasibility, risk assessment, then doing an engineering RFP, then doing a financial model RFP, you know, Generally, there's five RFPs that come out before you stick a shovel in the ground. You can do it all in one RFP if you write it right. Now, in order for us to get to that point, there, would you agree that there has to be a change in um, thought by the, uh, the, the, the city officials and how they, uh, how they approach this thing? Yes, and they need to be educated. That's why I love your, your workshop idea where, you know, you would do a seminar and you could bring community leaders or economic development groups in, whatever the case may be. Maybe it's even a school district that's looking at e-break. You know, you, you set up a workshop where you, you advise them as to what can be done from, you know, a data perspective so you don't have to knock on doors, what data is available, how it can be analyzed, how you design networks, and how you fund and finance these networks. 
the, the, the community leaders need to be educated before they can write a good RFP to get from point A to point B. And that's a uh, <laughs> that can become a real uh, I interesting thing. Now, by the way, um, I would I would also then say that another step along this process you've just laid out is at some point someone needs to do a, a, a marketing plan, right? Because at at some point. Um, you know, we do all the whole thing of figuring out is this, is this feasible, is this doable, um, here, how are we going to fund it, all those kinds of things. At some point, someone's got to actually market the thing. I mean, that is the most, um, you know, the most like a business in terms of, you know, way of working for the broadband that, you know, I think people need to, to take into a and take into account. You know, when I when I say we need to treat this as a business, you know, one of the things you do with a business is you market it, you know, to the right places and that pay up places and so forth. And and you and I have had this conversation as well, you know, the whole thing about um you know, we 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 need to go get data, right? But gate but the gate the the the, the uh, data's there the next thing is there needs to be a certain sort of priority of of um, where you're going to go, right? Because right. You, you can't right. go and, anywhere. And, 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 and prioritizing and marketing goes hand in hand. And, 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 and what we suggest communities do is, is similar to Google's approach. You know, they, 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 they coined the phrase fiberhoods, and they, and they did it by um, putting stuff out there on the internet and, you know, hey, we're coming to your town and would you be interested in, you know, a hundred megabit or a gig at X number of dollars? If so, click here. That That's not only marketing, but it's also a needs assessment and it, it determines feasibility and that's why when they go into a market, you know, the, 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 the the, the broad thing is people think that, that Google's going in and build out a whole city. No, they're targeting areas that show the most interest. And communities need to do the same. So so as part of that RFP, that's one paragraph. You will send either a mailing or put up a website that our residents can go to and click to determine if they're interested or not. So you then take that data and incorporate it in your plan so you know that, oh, we might not want to build this side of town because nobody's interested. So, but we will build this. It's all part of your needs assessment, how you're going to market that mini network. But we also have to, to look at the issue um, that there are certain parts of town that are not going to fit a profitability study, right? Whether it's Google or whatever. Right, and that's where you have an issue of uh, towns uh, and counties getting involved um, because if they don't, then there are going to be uh, people left unserved um, by default. I mean, you look at Philadelphia, okay? Philadelphia is, I would consider, somewhat typical. Um, They've got a decent number of people that are connected, 
but they also have 40% of the population that isn't connected. And so where do, you know, do you say that um, we do the uh, prioritizing based on who can pay it and then we address those who can't? And if you do, you know, what's the guarantee that those folks will indeed receive service? And I would right. say... And, and, and most recently, uh, you know, I'm sure you're aware, um, the FCC has, has changed um, the USF um, whole guidelines so that, that they're looking to provide broadband to low income. So if you end up in that circumstance where, you know, for whatever reason, either they're not connected to reply or that they're just um, not aware of this potential muni build, that's another avenue that you have, and you have to look at the big picture. So you want to serve the entire community, and you, you need to look at all the available funding to do so. So you first look at it from a business perspective and that, but then you, in order to completely provide service, you can then resort to, all right, wait a minute, the USF, the, the um, Connect America, whatever, oh, wait a minute, this community over here can't afford it? Well, we can, we can get the federal government to then offset the cost of that bill to provide that service, and yet you may not necessarily be making top dollar off it, because I believe the number is like nine ninety five a month that, you know, is what the government's going to pay if you connect a low income or or those sorts of communities, but you look at it as a big picture. So yes, you got these the federal government paying for these subscribers over here because they can't afford it. But then you're charging fifty nine dollars a month over here to this guy, and it, it it should be a holistic approach where it works for everybody in the whole community. Okay, so in that perspective, um, we have to not set aside in a negative way, you know, low-income areas. We basically have to figure there th th we've got to have a dual strategy, right? We've got to deal with the, um, the, the, the business end or the profitability end of it, but then also the needs, the community needs aspect of it, and that you've got to somehow tie those um, together, because otherwise you just get into a situation where you know you'll go through, you'll get a lot of money spent and so forth, and you'll still have uh, segments of the population that aren't being covered, and that's not right, but acceptable. Yeah, but generally speaking, generally speaking, um, you know the the, the lower incomes tend to be in um, congested communities, so therefore. You know, your, your build costs aren't that high because you, you're getting a lot of bang for your mile, for lack of a way to put it. Okay. You know, for, for the footage you got to put in. So even though you may only get 995 a month per subscriber in that community, there's so many of them in, 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 in an area that, that it really isn't a loss. Does that make any sense? Yes, and I would think that I would actually then say that um, we need to address the aggregate, not necessarily the individual, right? Because one of the problems that I've had with the Lifeline program is that it's a per-person 
uh, subsidy, right? And so you can't get a lot for the one person um, in in that in that scenario. I mean, you just there are limits. But if you if you pull the money, you know, then you can get more value. Uh, more coverage, you can, can mix it up with fiber and wireless and so forth. In other words, you, again, you think differently to come to a, a solution that may not be the tr- traditional approach, but a different kind of approach because the, 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 um, the economics of the whole are much greater and more powerful than individual subsidies. At least the way right. I look at it. And, and the, I think the point that needs to be made here is that when, when you're looking at community, you need to look at the entire community and not necessarily use the old business model that telcos have been operating on where they built mostly middle mile, they connected businesses, and, you know, they made a lot of money. When you're looking at community, the object is to serve the community. So, yes, some subscribers may pay less while others pay more. But so long as you design it properly, operate it efficiently, there is still profit to be made for the community and for the investors. Right. And it just, you know, it, it, comes, it can, continually comes back to how a community looks at this situation. Right, and how right. they and, 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 address and, and, it differently. Yes, communities will look at it different than, than providers will, where they're looking at it where, where it's a profit margin, and that's why you end up with this disenfranchised areas of communities that don't have service because they don't want to spend the money to service those people that aren't necessarily going to be able to pay the bill. Right. So, so that's why a municipal approach needs to be all encompassing and look at the big picture and look at it as a whole. And yes, you may not operate at a 20% margin or a 10% margin, but, but, you know, our profit margin may only be 8% on this entire network, but we're serving the entire community. Right. And that comes back to, um, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but it does come back to, you know, doing the traditional feasibility study the way many people seem to be doing it needs to be Pushed on, put on the shelf, and we need to think about a different way. You know, starting with, we need to come up with different answers to different questions than what is the norm uh, of a, a feasibility study, and that's that that becomes the you know the, the starting point, and then figuring out which kinds of questions you need to have answered, and where you can go to get some of those answers. Uh, already, as opposed to re- reinventing the wheel every time someone decides they're going to do a, um, uh, you know, currently say, you know, do a do another feasibility study to this to to going, you know, what do it do it different do it differently do it differently. Um, by the way, I want to look at a little bit, uh, just a couple of things that relate to. Um, uh, <clears throat> doing things differently, right? So if I look at Columbus, Ohio, and um, now they've been doing this process for about, of broadband, about four years, right? And um, there was never, 
to the best of my knowledge, there was never a feasibility study at the outset. What they did was they said, let's look at our um, known uh, technologies, you know, be they wired, wireless, whatever, and with a general view of trying to get better broadband for the community, let's start with what we have and let's start doing incre incremental changes and using a certain amount of um, creativity. And so for one of those ways that, that, that they worked it was about, I guess, a year ago, uh, they went to the Department of Transportation and said, you know, you guys have a whole bunch of money uh, to help cities improve their transportation, right? So what about if we ran fiber to all of the um, traffic lights? And the department uh, said, sure, let's do that. And basically gave the you know rewarded them uh, hundred dollars to build this infrastructure to the um, uh, traffic lights. Now what you have is fiber on top of uh, the city's already built fiber that goes into most neighborhoods and now they're saying let's go to um, ISPs uh, small, large, in between, whatever and say we've got this infrastructure we want you to come and build um, uh, a network, right? Now they're expecting that the large companies will say no because large incumbents are, in, you know, the way they are. But there are some mid-size and smaller ISPs that say, look, we don't have to build the infrastructure. The city has actually built it for us. So all we have to do is build the laterals that goes to people's homes and businesses, and and they're all of these... Uh, city are all these residents and businesses that are there. We know that they're there, right? In no way in this process was there an, an, a, a feasibility study created. It was a plan which right. was created, right? And certain opportunities uh, realized, and people have gotten on, you know, on the bandwagon and moved ahead. But it was a different way of, of thinking than I'm going to do a feasibility study and we're going to do then an engineering design and good luck and let's go. You know? Right. And, and Craig, Craig, I, I can answer that quickly. Um, how, how, they've done a great job there because apparently they've had somebody that was looking at the big picture. In most communities across the U.S., that doesn't happen. Right. Um, I've worked with and built networks in, in many cities where you might, as part of a permit, you, you might have to install city conduit that for the city stairs that were supposed to be used. Unfortunately, they didn't map them. They don't know where they're at. You know, they were put in 
and, and, and get a feel for what projects they have done. And, and, and uh, unless you have a specific person or company that has knowledge of the assets and how they can be applied to building out a network, you're never going to see the big picture. And unfortunately, what happens is most times communities have stuff and they don't know what the value is and how it can be used. It was just, you know, at the time, well, if you're going to use my street, put a condo in it. And then the condo was put in, and it's been long forgotten about it. A lot of times, that happens to be on a piece of paper. It's actually, you know, paper. Middle, somebody submitted a permit on paper. So that, that conduit was put in as part of the permit. No one ever took the extra step to put that in a map or show anybody that's readily available, and we own that asset. Mm-hmm. So... No, 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 that, that makes sense. What, I, what, I, what I'm sensing is um, something that has come up in a number of discussions I've had with different organizations. Like, well, when I did the survey of libraries uh, a couple, uh, a couple of weeks, a couple months ago, um, and also when I talked to government people, there is an issue of silos. Libraries have it. Um, uh, governments have it, obviously. Uh, even even the business side of of you know communities have it. There there are all these different silos, and pr- probably the best thing that many can do in a lot of in a lot of communities, large and small, is figuring out a way to break down the silos of information, and somehow um, uh, document it. So that um, we get better communities overall than not, because it seems like, in, in some respects, the information and the knowledge is all there, you know, to solve a number of these issues and these dreams for broadband and smart cities and everything else. It's like everything is there, but no one knows how to bring it all together. And maybe that needs to be uh, a main objective, um, you know, maybe concurrent with building a network. But nevertheless, because until those silos are broken down and categorized and cataloged, we're going to have this issue of people not knowing what they know or don't know, and we're going we're gonna to spend a lot of time running, running around in circles. I mean, that's... And it all, boils, it all boils down to the approach. Um, you know, I'm going to go back to that feasibility study. The way those RFPs are written, they're going to do X, Y, and Z, and, and, and they're going to end up with a white paper that's going to tell them what they already know. They need broadband. What you really need is to write an RFP to analyze the assets the city has and put those assets to use to develop a plan a design network based on what we have versus what we need. And that should be the next RFP that that, that communities pull together um, and they'll probably be better for it in, in, in the end. You know, because it's interesting to me and then we're going to have to cut this uh, the interview, but um, there is all this in, in, in um, interest in uh, a gay city 
right? And then concurrent with that, we now have the smart cities concept that's bubbling and is starting to become news or at least hype. And um, I'm not sure we're ready for that discussion because, again, um, we have all these silos of information, so all the possibilities, the solutions for these smart cities or the reason for build, building these smart cities, it's, it's, it's basically lost in some vault somewhere, you know, and that we need to deal with that before we talk about the next big trend, be it smart grid, smart city, whatever. Does that make sense? Understood and agreed. Well, we're definitely we're talking to the we're we're, we're preaching to the choir here. So, um, well, this has been a very good conversation. Um, it's probably will make some people uncomfortable, um, and and that that's fine because I think that in the end, people if they start making better decisions, you know, we will be better for it. And so, you know, there there we go. So I want I want to thank you for for helping us talk through some of these these issues. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. No worries. And folks, I am uh, very uh, appreciative of you tuning in again. And we'll be back soon with another good interview and getting broadband where it needs to be. Thank you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.